0: following message was preached from the pulpit of Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor, Washington. I'd like to tonight take you to, as the Lord has directed, to two portions of Scripture, two chapters in the book of Exodus, chapter 28 and chapter 32, and do a little bit of comparison and contrast in looking at the Wednesday night core crowd, uh, Bible scholars out there. I would... I would venture to say I could have given you a pop quiz tonight, a little bit on the high priestly garments. And you might not have gotten 100%, but collectively you would have done pretty well. You'd be familiar with the direction that God gave uh, to Moses for Moses' brother Aaron to wear as the high priest, at least the first one in that particular office. And I would venture to say if we did a second part of the pop quiz about that same Aaron fashioning a golden calf, you would, you would have some, uh, some collective recall on the Bible account of, of that. His brother Moses coming down off, off the mount and finding what his brother Aaron had done. And so maybe we, perhaps if we are a Sunday school teacher and you've taught either one of these accounts to Sunday school children, you've thought of them as separate cut, paste, here's a story, here's the set of flannel graphs for the high priestly garments. And you've done some teaching there. And then you've kind of solid break separately. Okay, now Sunday school lesson today, we're going to teach on this golden calf that, that Aaron fashioned. Uh, but tonight we're going to take the two because it's the same Aaron. And actually, even though they're separated by uh, four chapters... Uh, 28 to 32, really as Moses is receiving the directions for the high priest's fashion, the clothes that he was to wear, that high priest-to-be was fashioning the golden calf. And so, admittedly, me too. Uh, I've, I've thought of these kind of separately, but it's interesting when you put them together and, and connect them. Chronologically, they're, they're very close. And uh, tonight we, we have them on the slide right next to each other to, to bring the thoughts together for comparison and, and contrast. So Exodus chapter 28 first, I'll start off uh, reading the first three verses completely, and then I'll hit some of the highlights, and we're not going to do an exhaustive study. That would be a good mini-series on, on these garments and what they all point to. But let me start off uh, as chapter 28 does, verse 1 through 3, and... So this would be God speaking to Moses. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother, and we've mentioned recently uh, that Aaron was the older brother uh, by about three years. Take the, take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother. And as one of the members was pointing out before choir even tonight, the reason for glory and for beauty. And I would dare say, uh, you know, the artist depiction behind me that you're looking at, maybe it's pretty, maybe it's glorious, but nothing like it would be. in in real life, for glory and for beauty, and really nothing like what it is pointing to, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. That would be to make him holy, to set him apart for this, this office, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And then in verse 4, we have a a detailing of the different pieces, parts of these garments, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat, a miter, and a girdle. Then in verse 5, we have some more of the visuals, the different colors, gold. Typically, speaking of deity in the Word of God, Blue speaking of the heavenlies. We had a little some blue skies today, a little bit. Sandwiched in between some clouds. The scarlet or purple speaking of royalty. Scarlet speaking of sacrifice. And then the fine linen, the righteousness of of Christ. Certainly not our fine linen, our, our filthy rags, but the righteousness of Christ which may be reckoned to our account. We may put on his, his righteousness through imputation, and the Bible speaks of, of that. Uh, then, uh, verse 9, Thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of, of Israel. And verse 12 tells us where these stones are to go. Thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And again, the Wednesday night crowd, I, I don't feel like I have to repeat it. I probably will though. uh, That this high priest is, and these garments are pointing to our great high priest, and what he bears upon his shoulders here, specifically the nation of Israel. We might take it a. A little more broadly, as Jesus Christ, as a city of refuge, one of those being Shechem, and Shechem has a meaning of uh, speaking of mountains. It can be a ridge line. Speaking of the human anatomy, it speaks of the ridge line that goes across the the top of the back, the neck, and the shoulders, where you would carry a burden. And so we have uh, some uh, foreshadowing and some pointing to Jesus Christ, our great High Priest. Uh, who, who bears our burdens and and he wants to. He says, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what's the promise? I will give you rest because I will carry, I will shoulder your uh, burdens. Here again, specifically, uh, bearing the names of the tribes upon his shoulders. In verse 12, thou shalt put the, I said that. Uh, verse 15, thou shalt make the breastplate of Judgment, and, and does that cause you to uh, raise an eyebrow? Breastplate of, what would you say? Well, judgment, because it says it right here. <laughs> uh, if I would have just given you a quiz with a blank, breastplate of righteousness. And certainly, now that's referred to in Isaiah 59 and, and verse 17, and in the New Testament, in, uh, in the book of Ephesians, breastplate of, of righteousness so interesting and we'll, we'll circle back to that a little more how they're really one and the same breastplate of judgment and, and righteousness because it is righteous judgment verse 21 the stones shall be with the names of the children of israel 12 according to their names like the engravings of a signet everyone with his name shall they be according to the 12 tribes and then he, he wears that, as you can see, depicted there on the slide. And Aaron shall bear, verse 29, Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. When he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. So we have uh, quite a picture here in, in symbology and in pointing to Jesus Christ. Of Israel, the twelve tribes being born upon his shoulders, uh, bearing their burden and, and having them directly up before the Lord, but then also bearing those same names upon, upon his heart, close to his breast and the thought there. And then up to his forehead, that golden plate, verse 36 to 38, Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it what holiness to the Lord. Right on the front of the mitre, it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And then verse 42, I know we're kind of skipping through this. It's not meant to be necessarily... Uh, a sermon just on these these garments, but in comparison and contrast to what we'll see as uh, we switch in a little bit here, uh, four chapters forward. And thou shalt make them, uh, verse 42, linen britches. Breeches. I had never heard that word actually used in the English language until I met some guys from Georgia when I, who I worked with in Yellowstone National Park, and they were saying, don't you got another pair of britches? And I kind of giggled and smiled. I said, What? Oh, you mean pants. Um, some linen breeches to cover their nakedness. And so again, this is, this, is, this is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, not forgetting that these were actual garments that Aaron would wear. Uh, but we read a lot about Jesus Christ as our high priest in the book of Hebrews. And we'll not read chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through. But let me pick out a few verses uh, to make that connection. Chapter 3, verse 1, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And then towards the end of chapter 4 of the same book, Hebrews, uh, verse 14, beginning, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then that gives us the encouragement in prayer. Uh, After the message tonight, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Then chapter 7, and again, you could just start at the beginning and read through the book of Hebrews. Um, Chapter 7, verse 25 and 26, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Take just those verses and think back to Aaron, who is, in wearing these garments, pointing us to those verses, and then what we're about to read about what Aaron was doing as his brother was receiving the directions... For this fashion of, of clothing. And it, and it starts to be very mind-boggling, <laughs> at least for me. Romans, uh, getting out of Hebrews, still um, reading a bit about Christ as our high priest. Romans 8.34, Christ who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And then the apostle of love, John, in his uh, first epistle, the beginning of chapter 2, wrote about Jesus Christ As our advocate, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And I feel like we need just a big selah there. Just kind of look at the picture, look at those clothes, think of Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews. Say, wow, what a position that Aaron was in as the first high priest and pointing to our high priest and what was happening what was happening as as his brother was receiving the directions for his clothing well chapter 32 let's turn there from Aaron's fashion to Aaron's fashioning while the younger brother Moses was on Mount Sinai meeting with God receiving the instruction for Aaron's Garments. What was Aaron doing? Chapter 32, I'll start by reading the first eight verses. verses and uh, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, We want not what has become of him. Maybe we'll give Aaron a break because they asked for God's plural and he only made them one false God. And I don't think we think along those lines, uh, but that just jumped out at me. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord." And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly, out of the way which I commanded them, They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And we'll go ahead here a little bit to verse 19. We'll come back and read a little bit in between here. Uh, but let's pick up verse 19. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. He break the law because they broke the law. And he took the calf which they had made. And burnt it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and strawed it upon the water, and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. Like Aaron, our prescribed fashion and our fashioning don't always match. And it sometimes can lead to the Lord's wrath waxing hot. And we think about that and think about how he treats us with his grace and mercy. And, and we praise him that he is a God of, of righteous and just judgment. But he is a, also a long-suffering and, and merciful God who we might say, as we'll look at a bit here, uh, repents of maybe what his anger would like to do at times. And that's, that's kind of a weird, weird thought. But we read some of those words here. Tonight, So our main focus is simply going to be this uh, meditating on the contrast between the fashion, uh, the great high priest garments that we see on the slide there and we read about, uh, and Aaron's fashioning of of the golden calf. So we'll focus mainly on Aaron, but we will take a little bit of a look at Moses, his younger brother, and the Lord as well. So I'd like to learn... Of the sobriety of God's holiness and the hope uh, of his forgiveness and, and mercy tonight. Starting off with Aaron, primarily verses two or f- two through five of our, our second chapter, chapter 32. And it's interesting what Moses or what Aaron said, but also what he didn't say. So they say, make us a bunch of gods. Uh, we don't know what happened to your brother. And verse 2, and Aaron. Didn't say unto them, no." And I know that's reading into the Word of God. It's stating something that is there, that isn't there, if that makes sense. But I wrote that into it, I didn't change the word of God, but I made a little little note to myself. and Aaron didn't say unto them, "No. Why not? Why didn't he just say no? Wasn't he a man of God? Wasn't he being used of of the Lord? Hadn't he been used of the Lord? Make us a false god. Uh, Give us a hunk of metal. Bring some of these false gods that we're used to worshiping. Why did he say okay? (laughs) Why, Why did he not simply say no? How has society trained you in your patience. Brother Trujillo has, has the answer. We'll see how close we come here. He was of them. What's that? He was afraid, of them. afraid of the people as opposed to the fear of the Lord. He told his brother, you know these people. You know at the, at the end there. Why did you do this? Why did you lead them? Well, it wasn't me. You know them. He knew, he knew the people. Um, how are we as people when something is not happening according to our timeline. And the standard example, Mickey D's, you know, a couple, couple drive, you know, now we got two, two shoots, two lanes. You know, if you're at a Chick-fil-A, sometimes it seems like they have four or five lanes. And they follow you through and they got people running out next to your car. Uh, not that anyone has recently eaten Chick-fil-A coming up here from the airport. But, so that would be the standard. And we do get frustrated If two lanes and then the the person in the other lane gets to go in front of us, there's an extra 40 seconds to get my hamburger. How about, uh, you know, Amazon Prime? We get frustrated if it's going to take three days instead of two, or maybe a few orders in a row. We get it within 24 hours, and we're so used to that. What do you mean I have to wait two days for my package to show up at, at the door? we want to fix something and we're used to now being able to watch a five minute YouTube video to show us how to replace that that part in our car. Uh, And then what if the video that's supposed to take five minutes to give us the information isn't edited succinctly enough and distilled down and we get frustrated because it's a 17 minute video and it shouldn't take us 17 minutes, it should only take us five to tell us the size of the of the socket to undo those three, three bolts and, and, and put it in or what if you're in the kitchen ladies and men that like to cook and your internet connection goes down as you're looking at your, your cookbook your, your Pinterest whatever you have that favorite recipe <laughs> and all of a sudden you get the little thinking circle on your phone and, Ah. That's the society. That's the society we live in. And, and do we not carry that a little bit into the church? When you know, we have thoughts of what should happen and when it should happen. And maybe when it doesn't happen, uh, we come up with our, our own plan. And, and we go to leadership and we say, well, here's a plan do this. And what happens when the answer is no, just wait? Uh, Maybe Aaron had a little bit of that frustration from the people, as Brother Trujillo said. He knew what they were like. He was afraid of them because he knew what they were like when they were told no or wait. (laughs) Uh, So it seems so obvious. Why didn't he just say no? And then you have to ponder and think about uh, the people, and, and he didn't. He said, give me your gold and he received it and he fashioned it into the the molten calf or the i guess it wouldn't be molten as it was being fashioned it would have hardened uh, apis 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 the the golden calf one of the gods of the egyptians part of this culture they just well they were israelites well how long had they been in egypt so culturally really what were they 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 were god's people they were hebrews they were They went down a family. They came up a a nation. But culturally, they had a whole lot of Egypt in them. Uh, We're used to gods. We're not used to this god that is up there talking to Moses. We have no idea when he's coming down. Make us a golden calf, hmm, or make us a god. All right, here's one you're familiar with, Apis. So he built the altar and proclaimed, Aaron, tomorrow is a feast feast. To the Lord. So he makes a calf, a false god, an idol, and then he said, We're going to worship, but in our idolatry, we're going to spiritualize it. We're going to do some religious rationalizing of our worldly worship. But we're going to say, It's unto the Lord. We'll just take our false worship and our worldliness that we brought out of Egypt and, and say, It's unto the Lord. Uh, sadly, there's a, a church that we were members of, and then it changed names, and it changed a couple pastors, and we just received communication from this church just in the last few days. Sorry to tell you, uh, we just we're not like that anymore. And it's sad. It's sad. But I bet all their worship that as they make it more and more just like the world... I'm sure it's a feast unto the Lord, and and we can sometimes do that. So, what did what did Aaron Aaron do? The golden calf here in Exodus thirty-two, uh, Numbers chapter twelve. He rebels against his brother. He's, along with his older sister Miriam. They speak against Moses, and with regards to his uh, Ethiopian wife. Numbers chapter twenty. Aaron, along with Moses, is there at the waters of Meribah, and God says, speak unto the rock. And and we think of Moses being the one who angrily struck the rock, but Aaron was there, teamed up with, with his brother, and Aaron as well was not allowed to go into the promised land. But on the flip side, after Exodus 32... After the right side of the slide, after his fashioning of the gold into this Egyptian false god, Apis. Chapter 40 is God telling Moses to tell Aaron to put on the garments. And to be the high priest. And to go into the holy, holiest of holies. In Numbers chapter 17, they rebelled against the Aaronic priesthood. They said, Well, we're holy too, we can be priests. And what did God do? He he affirmed, confirmed with the budding rod. No, it'll be this particular tribe, Aaron's rod budded. When was that? After the golden calf. After the golden calf again at the end of exodus thou shalt bring aaron and his sons under the door of uh after 32 at the end in in chapter 40 thou shalt bring aaron and his sons under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and here's maybe part of the answer of this conundrum of how do these two things jive how can this slide both be parts of aaron's life in in the word of god um this is verse twelve and thirteen. Bring Aaron and his sons under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and wash them with water. Well, there's part of the answer. And thou shalt put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him uh, and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. So you read chapter thirty-two and you read chapter forty. And you hearken back to chapter 28, and you say, after chapter 32 and chapter 40, he's really told to wear what was described in chapter 28? How can that be? Well, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. For what purpose? That no flesh should glory in his presence. What were the purpose of the, the garments? For glory and beauty? Well, who's glory and, and, and beauty? <laughs> Not Aaron's. Absolutely not Aaron's. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And that's reading in in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 down to the end of the chapter, verse 31. and, And the last bit there is... Here's a reference to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and and 24. Really, bottom line, God uses us in every single situation in spite of ourselves. Not because of who we are, not the holiness that we present to him, in spite of ourselves being so far short of picturing Jesus Christ in whatever role he has us in. Uh, just an amazing, an amazing thought. Uh, let's look a little bit at his brother and then the Lord himself continuing this. And if you start to hear tired Wednesday night Charlie Brown teacher, wake up and just look at the slide and, and, and that main point will come back. How, can, how could God use Aaron? And then just look at the mirror of God's word and say, how could God use me? <laughs> well, it's in spite of me in spite of me, and it's for his, his glory. Him that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Well, Moses, what did he do? Uh, they claimed, in verse 1, that he delayed. Um, when the people saw that Moses delayed, well, this perceived delay of Moses was 100% of God's perfect timing. Can you imagine Moses being up there with the Lord? No, well, neither can I. Well, try and imagine it. God is speaking to you. He called you up on the mount and He's speaking to you. Can you imagine having your smartwatch, you know, you get a text from down below? Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. I know you have more to tell me, but my time's a little short. They're waiting for me down there. I cannot delay anymore. It's just silly. For us now, of course, hindsight 2020 and the, the, the Word of God before us, it's silly to think that it was Moses' delay, but that's how they perceived it. Uh, Moses, Moses delayed. And when we have perception of, of leadership delaying, just because he's listening to the Lord, let us not pivot to worldly worship, and because of these perceived Uh, Delays and Selah on that thought. Moses delayed. Moses besought. Verses 11 to 13. We see that he besought the Lord for the Lord's sake. Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self and sayest, Unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. So he besought the Lord for the Lord's sake, uh, for his testimony before the world, that it be not tarnished, and for the Lord's testimony, his word before his own people, that his word would be not weakened. And then in verse 31 and 32, he besought the Lord for the Lord's people's sake. Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forget their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast Written, So first he besought the Lord for the Lord's testimony before the lost word, and for the Lord's own testimony, fulfilling his promises to his people. And now he besought the Lord for the sake of the people that Moses loved so much. And we see this in Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul's heart attitude towards these same people. In Romans chapter 9, for example, verse 3 and 4, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. And then Moses, break the tables, verse 19, he burnt the calf, verse 20, uh, he seemed a little bit angry. His his own anger waxed hot. And this is the one in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3 who's described as being meek, very meek. How meek? Meeker than all of us. <laughs> and maybe at least uh, one lesson learned here is uh, an understanding of an anger... At sin and against sin, coexisting with a desire for God's forgiveness to be extended towards others. And that's kind of a, a silah thought there. Well, what about the Lord? What are some of the actions that he did? Verse 14, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. And maybe the first time you ever read that or pondered that, your, your brain started to short circuit and you went, the, the Lord repented? I understand I needed to repent. I needed to turn from where I was going unto him. But I, I take this turning, this repentance, and apply it to, to God himself. Zzz, zzz. <laughs> I know that it was that way with me. And maybe if I haven't pondered it for a while, meditated on it, and compared scripture with scripture i i I've kind of been quizzical again and had to study it out. So what do you do when you come across something that seems a little fuzzy and and not understandable? Well, you just take a one hundred percent clear biblical truth and you say, "I'm not sure about this, but I know this i I absolutely positively know." This, and you start making some of those statements, and before you know it, those absolute, positive, understandable truths start to make you understand this thing which was maybe a little fuzzy before. So what do I know? Wait a minute, God repented. Did that mean God's cha- God changes? No, we sang, and I think a lot of you were singing with me yesterday, today, forever. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 8. I, I, I am the Lord, Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord. All caps, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the eternal self-existent one who continuously reveals himself to us. That Lord, the only one true God, I am the Lord, I change not. And a lot of times when we're talking about the fact that God doesn't change, we stop there, and there's no period. So let's, let's read to the end of the sentence, the end of the verse, Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Back in Exodus 32, in verse 10, it says this. God speaking. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them and that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. It's interesting. I don't change. Therefore, I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And that starts to... Maybe it makes you question even more. For me, it, it makes me understand uh, he's unchanging, and he will never consume these people that are his, which makes some of the theology out there so much more ridiculous, having done away with Israel and, and saying they've been consumed by God. They don't exist any anymore. When I am the Lord. I change not. And Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God doesn't change, but he can and does choose to manifest and focus our attention on different aspects of his character and nature, all of which are infinite. And so he doesn't have levels of, of love and levels of holiness and levels of mercy and, and, and whatnot. They're all infinite. If you read um, The Knowledge of the Holy by Tozier, that's, that's uh, one of the main thrusts towards the beginning of that book. Or just go through our institute class, The Doctrine of God, Theology Proper. You would learn the same biblical thoughts and, and principles. So all of God's, as we see different pieces, parts of his character and nature don't shift from one to the other. Well, now I'm more this. He's infinite in all of those. But he can take our finiteness and shift our attention from one, one to another. Uh, so is well, what is it? Is he holy that sin must be judged? Or is he loving and gracious and merciful? Yes, all of the above. The Lord descended in the cloud a couple chapters later And stood with him, being Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Uh, Verses 5 through 7, of chapter 34 of Exodus. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, And it will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. So what is it? Is he love and mercy and goodness and long-suffering and grace and all those things? Or is he holy and uh, must judge sin? Yes, all of the above. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace, on Valentine's Day, wearing red, have kissed each other. Uh, Psalm 85 In verse 10, so the Lord repented, and verses 33 through 35, the Lord judged. The Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him, him, not you, Moses, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go and lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will Visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people. Plagued, did not consume them. Plagued the people, it says, because they made the calf which Aaron made. So he judged. He repented, but he judged. And his judgment is just. Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out. Ezekiel 18 in in verse 4, "The, the soul that sinneth, it shall die in a couple places there in Ezekiel chapter 18. And he that ruleth over men must be just. It's speaking of uh, in the human level, but certainly would apply to God too because he rules over men. He that ruleth over men must be just. Ruling in the fear of God, it says 2 Samuel 23 and and verse 3. So God judged, but his judgment is just. And that's another one of those when you don't understand God's judgments, as we read in the Psalms, Psalm 37, Psalm 73. Wait a minute, why do the wicked prosper? And wait a minute, I'm good, but I'm suffering. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people. What about the judgment of God? I don't know, but I know this. I know God is just. Anchor it. There's, take, a, take one of those stakes we just got. <laughs> You'll see them for the, the new tent. Uh. They're, they're solid steel about yay big around and, and what about yay long? <laughs> Take one of those and, and anchor that thought in, into the ground. That God's judgment is just and God's judgment is righteous. It's right. It's always right and righteous. And that's one of the things that was being depicted in Aaron's fashion. This breastplate of judgment. And yet again, Isaiah 59, verse 17 says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Well, what is it? Is it a breastplate of judgment or a breastplate of righteousness? Yes, a breastplate of righteous judgment. And again, Ephesians 6 and and verse 14 and Jesus himself, our great high priest, spoke these words in John chapter 7 and verse 24, judge righteous judgment. How could he say that if his judgment was not just and righteous? So his, he judged, and his judgment is just and righteous and merciful and faithful. Mine angel shall go before thee. And we have that promise in Hebrews, the book that speaks largely of our great high priest, Hebrews 13 and verse 5, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Uh, I feel like there are a whole lot of places we could have just stopped the message and said, let's just have individual prayer, a lot of uh, um, self-reflection. Uh, but here I, I do have a, a concluding thought that that takes it back really to Aaron and the slide you've been staring at, even if you've tuned me in and out and out and in, that slide and just this. How can, how can that slide, those pictures, come from the same Bible? They came from four chapters apart, but really chronologically, they came from the exact same moment in time. The, 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 the directions for the fashion of Aaron's garments while he was down there fashioning the golden calf. And the the message tonight uh, was not just to be disgusted with Aaron. Uh, It was to take the word of God, profit from it, and and look at it in a mirror back at ourselves and and ask the question, uh, does our prescribed fashion, how the Lord tells us to dress and to act and to converse and to live in this world, align with what we might be fashioning as idols in our lives today. And I'll finish with uh, with a couple of verses from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14 and 15. Here's the prescribed fashion. And as I read this just ask yourself if it lines up with what you might be fashioning currently in your life as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts, in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And all means all. And that's all that all means. And may the Lord bless his uh, teaching. The preceding message was preached from the pulpit of Bible Baptist Church, Oak Harbor, Washington. You can find additional information about the church and our publications ministry on the web at bbcoacharbor.org. For further assistance with specific questions, please feel free to give us a call at area code 360-675-8311. Thank you for listening. Our prayer is that you received a blessing from the preaching of God's word.